you know, we don't as founders or as employees, nobody sees the product from the moment it gets um, sourced from raw materials until when it gets into the customer's hands. Like, you know, it's all done uh, in the background by these partners. So you, you want to make, you know, damn sure that they can uh, execute, um, you know, close to flawlessly. Welcome to DTC WTF, the interview podcast that delves into the biggest mistakes successful e-com founders have ever committed, and of course, the lessons they learned. Unlike other startup podcasts, we resent revisionist history and refuse to shy away from the blunders, the mishaps, and yes, the acts of God that nearly destroyed a company, but ultimately may have helped define the founders and the brands that they've built. I'm your host, Jake Sukoff, and I was sick and tired of hearing countless startup stories that glamorize entrepreneurship without talking about the never-ending challenges founders have to deal with on a daily basis. It's my hope that entrepreneurs can learn from our mistakes and avoid some pain in the future, regardless of their experience level. DTC WTF is brought to you by Uppercase Brands. Uppercase is a tech-enabled e-com agency built by former Facebook and Google employees. If you run an e-com business and you're looking to 10x your revenue, look no further. Uppercase leverages data and rigorous testing to build elevated Shopify sites, grow traffic through paid ads, and convert more website visitors into buyers with conversion optimization. For more information, go to uppercasebrands.com. That's uppercasebrands, plural with an S, dot com. Okay, we are live. Hello, and welcome to DTCWTF. It's a show about successful e-com brands, their founders and operators, but unlike other shows that talk about startups and their successes, we like to talk about the catastrophic failures. For no one achieves success without making tons of mistakes, and I really, truly do believe that, you know, startups are incredible endeavors, but there's such hard work and there's so much emphasis on the Shark Tank winners and the Jack Dorseys and Elon Musks of the world that I think it's really important that we highlight just how dirty they can get. Today, I am joined by the Kim brothers, Brandon, Elliott, and Dylan. They're the owners and operators of Brevity. It's a direct-to-consumer startup that sells backpacks. We're going to get really deep into the weeds on that. Gentlemen, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you. Thanks, Jake. So, um, you know, I need to start off, I already mentioned this before we started recording, but I need to hear first and foremost, what it's like working with your brothers. Do you, do you guys have other siblings or it's just the three of you? It's just the three of us, uh, right now. Um, you know, hopefully another one doesn't appear out of nowhere, <laughs> uh, but it's, it's actually worked out really well. Uh, I think, I think I've got authority as the older brother. I can, I can talk to this one. Uh, so uh, you know, there's automatic trust and like, that's so mm. difficult to often find, uh, you know, you develop trust, you know, along the way, but with family it's immediate. And so certainly we have our ups and downs, uh, like anybody, like any partners, uh, but at work, you know, we're partners in the business and outside of work, we are, uh, you know, we're family and we don't talk about the business. Uh, we set those hard boundaries and it, it ended up working very well. Uh, you know, like, like there were days where we used to pull all nighters working on the, on the business and through the weekends and it was endless. And at this point, you know, we picked a, a nicer cadence and in turn, uh, 
you know, it's been very healthy and uh, enjoyable for our relationship as partners in the business and our relationship as brothers. Mm. Anything to add, Elliot or Dylan? So I think just a complete opposite take. It's horrible. It's terrible. Brandon's. A- I- <laughs> um, no, I, I, I love it. Honestly. Um, I think a big part of how we get along so well is that um, being raised, we are always raised as a team. So no matter what, um, if one of us got in trouble, we all got in trouble and we would all endure the same, you know, punishment, whether it was, you know, uh, like being grounded or whatnot. Uh, and so I think that helped us kind of become very unified um, as a team, you know, working with each other. Uh, any grievances we ever have, we pretty much air them out immediately, um, never letting anything really build. And mm-hmm. I think it all stems back to that upbringing of always being a team. That's uh, a really great point. And that was going to be my follow-up question is how do you guys deal with difficult conversations between the three of you? We don't, uh, I'll say this, we, we don't argue or have that much conflict with each other. Um, I think you just you know, are lucky to get along really well. And so, of course, there's business conflicts and there's, you know, brotherly conflicts that do arise, but we, we snuff them out pretty quickly. Um, so that has never been a problem for us, even growing up and into now, um, is like having feuds or, or, or big conflicts that last for a long time. So I think we're just really lucky. And then, you know, what I'll add to Brandon's is the trust factor has been huge. And so, you know, we each cover very different, very different parts of the business. And so um, Brandon is our head of design, Dylan's our head of marketing, um, and I run our operations and finance. And so um, those are all obviously very different um, uh, things. And so uh, just having the trust um, and different interests for each of us to own those um, parts of the business, um, you know, has been really important. I think, you know, a key to our success as well. And you mentioned something earlier about setting these boundaries, and I'd love to dig a little bit deeper into that because as a startup founder, it's so hard to separate your life and your work. You're pouring everything into this business, and it's taking up so much time. So can you talk a little bit more about how you guys are actually setting boundaries and what that looks like? We, we hang out a lot outside of work, too. So, uh, you know, when we have friends or, or, or partners, girlfriends, and you know, such like they're with us. We try not to make the business be the primary conversation or, or really any part of the conversation. I think naturally sometimes it does come up, but um, you know, it's really easy all of a sudden you go down like a huge rabbit hole and want to talk about you know, a specific initiative or factor of the business. But um, you know, not everybody's privy to that conversation. And so um, you know, work is work and you know, play is play. So I think that's something we've tried to be really, really cognizant of, um, especially as we've been growing um, and it's just become like a bigger part of our lives and our identities. I don't know if you guys have anything to add to that. I think that covers it pretty well. Yeah, that's pretty good. <laughs> you guys, your your parents must be so proud and thrilled of you, not just about this business, but the fact that you guys are able to just have such incredible relationships. I mean, the parents who are listening to this episode are going to be kicking themselves because I can't imagine three brothers having as uh, sane a dialogue as you guys are having, unless this is all a show, which I'm not, I'm not leaving that, you know, out of the question. Um, I saw recently that all three of you were elected to the Forbes 30 under 30. Congratulations on that. Thank you. Um, 
be honest, what is that like? Do you have to like reach out to them to get them to do that? Or did somebody reach out to you and, and coordinate that? So we were nominated uh, by a few different uh, people and organizations. And so, and then you're just kind of like funneled down this kind of, you know, cryptic process. Uh, and then, you know, you're like, you're interviewed and you don't know if you've gotten it or you may have gotten it, but you're not totally sure. And then, you know, you just kind of wake up and, you know, cross your fingers and maybe you've got it. And so we were very fortunate. It, I found it uh, very relieving, more than exciting. It was, it was very pleasant. Mm. Uh, but it was also one of the most public things that's happened to us. Mm. So uh, it, was a, it, was, it was showing the world that, uh, you know, everybody who we passed, passed by and who's, who's helped us along the way, that we, we still exist, that we're still pushing forward with this and that we're seeing success in the process. Mm. Yeah, and I, I imagine it's tremendous validation. You've been working on this company for what five plus years at this point, and to have such a, a public display of that of recognition like that, it must feel really good to you know to have somebody say, "Hey, check these guys out. They're uh, they're really onto something here." And I said it better myself, man. Yeah. Uh, what I'll add to that is that you know, running running a startup, and especially when it's your own, and it's small, or even if it's big for that matter, like it's every day it's like a reflection of the work that you're putting into it. And so I think that's like, that can be really hard and, and, and you can be really hard on yourself with that. So you just want you know, everything to look flawless. And I think, you know, when I, I used to work at the federal reserve and um, you know, a lot of my classmates worked at investment banks in the city. And, you know, you're at these, like, you know, people are at these very prestigious places. And when you're there, you can almost, you know, not discrediting what it takes to get to those places, but you know, you can mask yourself in some ways with, you know, the identity of the firm. Um, but when you're, you know, running your own company, it's like you get, you, you get out what you put in. Um, and I think, you know, the, the Forbes um, recognition was just a great, um, you know, validator for not just us as founders, but, but our entire team for, for everything, all the hard work that everybody's been putting in. Wow. That was powerful. Truly, truly. Cause like we touched on earlier, a startup really is a reflection of its founders. You are really giving it your all, at least if you want it to be successful, you're putting your all into it. And so I thought that was really well said, you know, in a large faceless, you know, Goldman Sachs or, uh, you know, I don't want to trash any large institutions, but um, you're right. You can be practically anonymous, you know, you can likely coast and get through, but a startup it, is, it lives and dies by its founders. If you are mailing it in, that will absolutely be reflected in its product and, and how your uh, customers are engaging with your brand. So very well put. So let's dive a bit into the background about Brevity. So how did it get started? How'd you get the idea? And what made you decide to actually pursue this? Yeah, so we started back in 2015. Um, so I was actually uh, going abroad to Hong Kong. And I had been, uh, I, so I'm a photographer and I used to carry my camera everywhere with me. And then I noticed as I was in college, I started leaving my camera at home. I wouldn't bring it with me. Uh, I was feeling generally just uninspired. And so as I was going abroad, I approached Brandon, who's the best researcher, Googler I know. And I was, I told him I was looking for a camera bag that looked nice, was affordable, and could hold my camera and other things when I, you know, didn't want it to be a camera bag, laptop, sweatshirts, whatever. Um, and 
to, I couldn't find a bag that fit these needs. And so Brandon decided to go out and make this bag. Uh, so we, uh, no kidding, went to a thrift store, found a broken sewing machine, took it to a local seamstress. She helped us fix it up, went to Joanne's fabric, picked out some stuff. And then uh, Brandon taught himself how to sew an entire backpack. Uh, showed it to me a couple of weeks before I went abroad. Uh, it was, and I, I was blown away. I mean, I don't think Brandon even need, know how to sew before making this bag. <laughs> um, so then we kind of just hit the ground running from there. We decided to launch on Kickstarter to get some validation. This was uh, early. Um, this was, I believe we launched officially uh, January, 2015. And we had a, a month long campaign. We overfunded that uh, raising about $38,000 um, completely organically, just from being featured on blogs. Uh, in 2015, influencer marketing really wasn't a thing, but we reached out to some creators on a, a newer platform called Instagram. <laughs> and then from there, we we're kind of off to the races. Uh, really just snowballing momentum. Even to this day, we haven't uh, raised any money. It's completely bootstrapped. Um, I, and then I would say around 2016, uh, when Elliot and myself uh, graduated college, Brandon had gotten into uh, an industrial design program. And uh, I was in a Venture for America fellowship. Elliot went to work at the Fed. And we just kind of kept it going. And then 2017 is when we all came out full time. So you mentioned you did this uh, crowdfunding campaign. Was this on uh, Kickstarter? Yep. And tell me about that because a lot of the clients who we work with, a lot of the people who I've spoken with, the founders who have these direct-to-consumer companies have really challenging times on Kickstarter. Uh, if you want to do it right, I know it, it requires a huge amount of effort. And a lot of people say it's more about PR and marketing than it is about actually raising money for sales. It's really about getting your name out there because it costs so much to produce the assets and to make sure that everything runs smoothly. What was your guys' experience with that? Yeah, so we, I would say Kickstarter in 2015 was uh, a bit more forgiving than it is now. Uh, so we've actually run uh, two Kickstarters. So we ran our initial one in 2015. And then in 2017, we ran our second one. And for context, I believe when we launched, and Brandon, you can quote me if I'm wrong, um, I think we were one of maybe four backpacks or three backpacks in 2015. And then when we launched again, our second Kickstarter in 2018, we were, or 2017, sorry, uh, we were one of like 27 backpacks. Mm, wow. So just cutting through the noise became a lot more difficult. I think a lot of, uh, like you said, a lot of companies kind of figured out the formula um, where it became very expensive to have a successful campaign. Uh, just through marketing assets, you know, digital spend, PR, all that kind of thing. Uh, so we actually haven't went back to Kickstarter since 2017. Um, not to say it's out for the future, but uh, we're just haven't needed it really. Mm, that's awesome. Bootstrapping is the way to go. For some reason, people today are afraid of uh, creating a sustainable business model and actually trying to achieve, you know, profitability. And it's are more concerned with just raising capital and and acquiring customers at you know whatever the cost may be so it's it's always refreshing to to see founders who are focused on that 
Yeah, I mean, if, you, if you can do it, it's a great model. And I think we were fortunate. We started in 2015 when we were in college. Um, you know, I think Dylan and I were juniors and Brandon was a senior. And so a lot of like the basic costs um, were covered. And we had, uh, you know, through, through, through our tuition and our boarding at school. And then um, we just had really good networks and ecosystems at our school. So, you know, each of us had like an incubator ran through our schools. And so, we just got we, we got a ton of support and resources um, from each of those. I think you know we we won grants um, and business plan competitions in each of our schools, which helped like really kickstart the company. And so we just didn't require the same um, resources that a lot of like you know founders if they were you know a little older and doing it on their own and they had a family to support. So I think we were very fortunate enough to be able to grow the business in those early years um, at a time when we just didn't require that much. Yeah. And what, what did your, you know, your parents, how did they react when you guys were saying, you know, we're going to spend all of our leisure time on building a backpack company? They were for I think, uh, like, it was one of those things where, you know, it's better than spending it doing other things, I guess. Um, you know, that our parents uh, both, you know, our mother, uh, she had a, a little boutique storefront growing up. Our, our father has had his own rendezvous, uh, you know, with building ventures when he was younger. And so it wasn't that far out of the realm of like understanding. It wasn't, it wasn't super new. It was more like, oh, this feels pretty natural. So when it, uh, you know, when it came time for us to be like, okay, we're going to start something. It's going to be a physical product company. And, and this is what we're doing. They were, they were, they were for it. Yeah, I, I think the the brand, you know, we weren't as like our, our you know, our, as a company and our product and all that. You know, like, like any company, it's improved over time. And so, you know, I reflect back to our early days, and I'm, you know, you know, you're kind of like blindly naive to you know what you're offering. And so, and even even us, and you know, sometimes you're like, oh, we're starting a backpack company, um, and then everybody's like, oh, there's a lot of backpack companies, mm-hmm. and you get that you know typical like you know rhetoric or dialogue from everybody, um, and even yourself sometimes, and so. Um, we really just like over the years have tried to think about, you know, what are we going to, how are we going to do things differently? Like, how are we going to stand out from other backpack companies? Cause yeah, truth be told, like it's no secret. There are a lot of backpack companies. And at the end of the day, like, you know, backpacks generally do the same thing. Um, you know, they carry your stuff, but um, you know, we like to take it a level deeper and say, you know, it, there, there's much more to it than just you know, carrying your stuff. There's, you know, how comfortable is it? Like what are the materials and inputs going into it? Um, you know, ergonomics and function like is it catering to um you know what you're carrying today like everybody's carrying an iphone everybody's like, traveling uh, more now than ever before so like can, can it hook up to your suitcase like, there's just a lot of factors that um you know we're accounting for now that um, maybe people don't think uh um you know were needed or wanted in backpacks but um that's what that's what we're just finding now so I love that take. I think that so many founders are, I should say, pre-founders are dissuaded from pursuing an idea because they think, oh, there's so much competition. There there couldn't possibly be a need for another backpack company. Like you just said, they all basically do the same thing, but there's so little emphasis on what's the competitive edge. Why should this thing exist today? And I think that's one area where founders who fail often have, uh, you know, a similar 
experience when they're just focused on it's just going to be a backpack company as opposed to no we're going to focus on the comfort the ergonomics of it we're going to we're going to attack this niche of camera backpacks first you know um which i assume was something that went into you know your mindset when you guys started when you started this absolutely and so um we even like to talk about like everyday plus right so the first product we made was this camera bag that had uh, an insert inside. The insert could come out. It became a normal backpack. Uh, and it looks like a normal bag as well. And so as we ventured more into the everyday side, you know, targeting more uh, commuters and the like, um, of course, not too many people are commuting now. <laughs> um, but we really wanted to think about, okay, how are we addressing like everyday plus, you know, like we not everyone is a photographer all the time. You know, some people just want to carry their camera around and, you know, whether it's snapping photos of their children or it's a leisurely activity that they'd like to do for themselves. Um, how are we serving that? Mm. Definitely. All right. This episode has been too positive and cheery so far. So I want to do a hard pivot into the big bad WTF moment. So who wants to, who wants to, to set the stage for us? I, I can absolutely. So um, as as we said, we've been around for about five years. Um, and that obviously has not come without its really hard moments. Um, you know, we've been through different manufacturers, uh, different wa warehouses, and, you know, countless contractors, things like that. Um, you know, it's really just one foot in front of the other for the past five years. And so, uh, the story that immediately came to mind um, of what was our WTF moment. Um, this happened in 2017. Uh, we we're in a, uh, a warehouse or a 3PL, uh, third party logistics. Um, and they, it, I, I guess this setting the stage, it seemed uh, like a great place. You know, they, they passed our vetting. They had happy customers. We had, uh, a very friendly and like dynamite account manager. Um, and we were also growing very quickly. So as we got into this place, we wanted, um, you know, just a good line of communication, got our packages out on time, that kind of thing. How did you uh, find but, these guys? Uh, just, I believe through our, our network and then just our own research as well. Um, I feel like some of these more like behind the scene pieces are, like intentionally difficult. Um, I believe Brandon actually found them, you know, <laughs> I'm telling you best Googler I know. <laughs> um, and so we got in and we started growing very, very quickly once we got in there, um, just through our own marketing efforts, um, just getting some of that spend up, that kind of thing. Uh, some good content marketing we were doing at the time. And so as we were multiplying these, these small problems, just started to kind of magnify and really grow and, and kind of turn into these gaping holes um, without getting like too, too much into it. Uh, one of the, a couple of the problems were, you know, international shipments would sometimes take 10 to 14 days to leave the warehouse. Um, mm -hmm. And usually that's the time they take to, you know, ship, fulfill and arrive. So we would have customers waiting sometimes a month for their product. Wow. Um, and then like, some uh, tracking numbers will be entered incorrectly. And so as you can imagine, just even those two problems alone uh, just created a mountain of customer service, um, really just kind of overloading us. And, 
you know, where's my package? Why is this tracking number wrong? Uh, that kind of thing. And so the kind of the end events was, uh, or where we had Black Friday, which ended up going very well for us on the revenue side and we saw growth and everything, but on the fulfillment side uh, was nothing short of a nightmare. So I had a uh, running C uh, spreadsheet file that I was sharing with the warehouse where we were just, you know, constantly being like, okay, where are these orders? You know, like XYZ person, um, just really trying to push them to fulfill these orders. And I could never understand why they were uh, so backed up um, until we went to visit. So um, we had been interfacing and we were emailing them quite frequently. So uh, pretty much every day for uh, several months, just making sure that they were kind of staying online. Um, what was sorry, I like, yeah, what, what was, I want to hear more about the, you know, this deluge of customer complaints, people being obviously unhappy that they're not receiving their packages that they've paid for. What was the strategy going into that to try to calm people down? Dylan was in a co-working space at that time in, in New York City, you know, tiny little office. And you know, he was the only one, I think, working on customer service at that time and running the company full time. So I'm sure he has a lot of uh, battle scars to share from those days with a lot of upset customers. Let's see him. So it's it's funny actually reflecting because uh, I, I don't think I've ever actually said this like publicly, um, but I would say a, a a wonderful nugget of advice is, um, is, is just treating yourself. So like, because I was doing, I was, uh, this was like one of those, like, you know, you're burning the midnight oil, right? Like I was working probably far too much, uh, you know, had to learn to take breaks. And, uh, so I would go for like an after, like a noon walk was always what I would do. And then, uh, just like, what, just like get, I don't know, treating yourself to lunch or things like that. Like these tiny, uh, little things to really show yourself kind of gratitude just because uh, it became very stressful. So the strategy on the customer service front um, is we've always been very customer forward. We, uh, we love our customers and we always want them to have kind of the highest regard to us. Um, so we never want them to kind of walk away with a bad experience. Of course, um, what we found is open lines of communication, uh, really trying to set expectations the best you can. Um, and then some of it just resulted in, uh, just refunding for like mm. half their order or things like that. Um, it's better to kind of keep a customer than, uh, you know, to save a couple bucks and, and lose them and have them have a very negative experience and have that spread. Totally. How do you guys, sorry, to, I want to go on this tangent really quick. How do you think about customers? It's not quite like a car where you make one sale and then you don't worry about somebody for 10 years, but you are building quality backpacks. I know one of your big, you know, missions is to produce things that last. So how do you think about customers long-term when they're going to buy a backpack and likely they won't need one again for some time? That's a great, yeah. great question. Do you want me to take, I can take it. Yeah. So yeah, absolutely. I, I think that, um, you're right. Like you buy a backpack and you're kind of covered. And so right now what we want to do is we want, we want to win at becoming you know, the next big backpack company. And so there's obviously a lot of customers and people out there that we can, um, you know, get to achieve that. And so we feel like the target market is big enough right now um, to just win at that. Um, and then looking out farther, you know, we'll consider, you know, other categories within, within the bag, within the bag space. Um, 
uh, to look to you know bring back those customers. But right now, what we really want to focus on is you know backpacks, getting people to tell their friends about it or their family about it or people that they're with um, to win over that market. Um, and then you know, in addition to that, like looking at other um, you know smaller accessories that we can cater to in the meantime. Um, but that's really our our kind of market strategy right now. Gotcha. Cool. Thank you for that. Okay, so it's Black Friday, Cyber Monday. Dylan is going for walks rather than you know solving the problem. I'm just kidding. <laughs> so you're, Ooh, that, that no. cut a little deep, my guy. <laughs> you're you're no, honestly, so many. I mean, I've had a lot of these conversations, and it's such a good point about self care. And just another, an earlier episode, I was speaking with another entrepreneur about. <laughs> taking care of yourself because if you're not if you're not capable of operating at max capacity then your business is going to suffer and a lot of founders forget this if you're listening right now and you haven't slept and you haven't eaten and you haven't spoken to your friends or family stop what you're doing and take care of yourself it's so important so i appreciate you saying that dylan because i really do believe so, that so important it's, it's I, essential. I, I, absolutely and i i 100 and 10% believe in it. I think, you know, mental and social hygiene are unbelievably important because, you know, this, this path is inherently lonely. I'm, I'm so fortunate I get to do it with my two brothers, mm. but, um, you know, I did work alone on this for 18 months and like to say it was easy would be, you know, would be an absolute lie. So it's, you know, it's treating yourself, it's taking those walks, getting that space, um, like sleeping well, right? Like, I think like you can work, 60 hours a week or 80 hours a week, but you can't do that for a month straight because you'll just burn out. Right. So it's, it's better to like temper that time, have it be more impactful hours, more aware hours. Uh, and then just, you know, have that ring home for the whole year. Yeah. I mean, between that mindset and your disposition with each other and your ability to separate church and state and not discuss the business when you guys are together, you guys are clear. It's no wonder you guys are Forbes 30 under 30 recipients. You guys uh, you got it figured out. Wise beyond your years. We like, we like to keep things in perspective too. I mean, you know, I think there was the Bonobos founder who said like, you know, when you're starting a company, you're not, you're not, you know, starting a company is not a real risk. Like, you know, somebody going into, you know, combat, you know, that's a real risk. And so, uh, or, or some quotes similar to that. And so like, that's always stuck with us. You know, we try to keep it in perspective. Like we take our work very seriously and we take our customers very seriously. Um, but at the end of the day, we try to be, say like, you know, what? we're a fun backpack company. You know, we're, we're trying to give people a good experience, a fun experience. And I think that helps us um, keep things in perspective a lot. Like, for example, like, my girlfriend is in medical school right now and she's, you know, at a hospital and she's, you know, working in the emergency room. And so she sees like serious issues, you know, every day, you know, human, human life issues. And I think, you know, she comes home and shares that story with me. And then you know, I share my story. I was like, Oh, you know, X, Y, and Z with backpacks or something like that. And it's just a very, it, it always kind of humbles me. But I think that's something as a team and we've always shared Great insight. All right, let's get back to it though. So Dylan is taking care of customer service. Um, and then you were just talking about how you are on the phone with your 3PL saying, how is this happening? And then take it away from there. Yeah. So um, Brandon and I actually uh, planned a visit just because we, we wanted to, you know, sit down, meet with them, understand these issues. Again, we were growing very quickly. So, um, 
we really just wanted to get, get to the root of it, kind of iron out what we could. Um, so we went to visit them and, uh, what we found was, I like to call it a, it's like walking into an episode of kitchen nightmares, uh, with Gordon Ramsay, you know, where he goes and like looks at these, uh, failing restaurants. And, um, what we found was very, very passionate workers. So our account manager was this unbelievably passionate guy. Uh, the workers on the floor, they like intimately knew our product. Um, you know, we were talking with them, how we can like better ship things. And they had all these great suggestions, um, kind of a warm crew. Um, but what we found was, uh, when we went to go and sit down with the the owners who, who ran the place, um, without getting into too much detail, it was, it was definitely one of the most bizarre meetings I think Brandon or I have ever taken. Um, one of the owners, uh, brought in, uh, one of the customer service managers and like publicly ridiculed her, like right in front of us within, within like five minutes of the meeting starting. So, uh, it was like, Oh, why isn't this done properly? And we were like, we should not be here for this. Like, this is like something you do not with us. (laughs) Um, and they just, I think they just seemed like generally kind of unaware of all these problems and issues, um, just major red, red flags. So pretty much after that meeting concluded, um, we began um, immediately the search for a new place. Um, and we found one and we've been with them ever since. And they've been lovely. Um, I think the major takeaway for us in that, in that moment was uh, having these, uh, I think a lot of founders um give a lot of time and perspective to the people that they're working with um but we try to have the approach of like we always want to work with uh people we're friends with um like have very kind of warm relationships um and that goes from you know our manufacturer um all the way to uh our warehouse right like we have great relationships with both we're no longer talking to them every single day um and because of the good relationship and the trust between us, uh, we've been able to really grow kind of with them. We're no longer kind of putting out these little forest fires, you know, every single day or Mm -hmm. twice a week or three times a week. Now it's like, I mean, we maybe email them like once a month and it's like, okay, new inventory is coming in, you know, like the, the language and how we react is just so different by having these great and dynamic partners. So when this all you guys get back from this meeting. Tell I want to I want to hear more about like what was your and Brandon's reaction, and then how did you bring Elliot into this mix? It was just like holy, are are you kidding me with like the dysfunction that's happening in this facility? Yeah. So Brandon, I feel like it would be great to hear your perspective. So I'll I'll set. So we got, Brandon and I got back in the car, and then Brandon can take it from there. <laughs> yeah. So. Uh, <laughs> we got in the car and like, it was very obvious. It was like, this, this wasn't, this wasn't going to be a long-term thing. It was, it was obvious that, uh, we needed to move because it was halting growth. It was taking up a lot of bandwidth. It was taking up time from Dylan from actually doing what he needed to do on the marketing end. Uh, and so it, it was just a, it was a headache. And so communication between the three of us is pretty straightforward. It was just like, it was a phone call and it's like, this isn't working. You know, and like, and like there was enough trust that Ellie was like, okay, yeah. And also, you know, there's enough orders that had problems with it that we were all like, okay. And so then began our search and, um, 
you know, we understood what we needed this time. It was a lot clearer. Um, we understood what kind of partners we were looking for. We understood like the level of the service level that we really needed. Uh, and we didn't want to mess it up. Uh, so we ended up, uh, coming across a consultant who helped us. Um, you know, he helped us draft up a very nice contract. Uh, and then Dylan and myself, uh, took a, a trip down to New Jersey and we visited a whole bunch of, uh, warehouses. We toured them. We met with the owners. They're all family owned. And so um, that kind of changes the dynamic in a very nice way uh, because we're family owned. Mm -hmm. So, uh, you know, there was a lot of there was a lot of um, bread to break there. And so, you know, we saw beautiful warehouses and we saw large warehouses that were kind of dirty and we saw large warehouses that were run impeccably. And there are all a range of different costs, you know, like because. At our size, it's nothing's totally standardized, um, and so that's when we 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 met this uh, one warehouse that we really love. Um, they they were very kind, and something that stood out to us was as we were leaving. It was it was the end of the day, and one of the um, kind of like the the upper executives. Uh, uh, she was basically like, have a wonderful day to our employees. And her employees, the way they responded was very warm and, and happy. And they were clearly well-respected there. Um, and, and seeing the way that, uh, you know, the upper level spoke to, you know, their employees, uh, that was very reassuring and ultimately aligned very well with us. I think there's a, like a, a statement uh, I really love, and it's uh, leadership is service. Uh, and so it means that, you know, nobody is above taking out the trash Yeah. nobody, uh, you know, is above their employee at the end of the day. You know, you're, you just kind of, you got to give your employees all the best things so that they can do their job to the best of their abilities. And so with the warehouse search, you know, it just became very obvious that they were a good partner. They had a good price. Everything kind of fit in perfectly. Uh, and so, uh, Ultimately, it ends up solving a lot of those problems. Mm. It reminds me of the like the idea that when you're dating somebody, if you want to truly understand what they're like, see how they treat service workers. And if they're rude to their waiter and they're rude to the hostess, then you know you know that this person is likely putting on a show for you. But that's really that's really interesting to hear. I, I think that a lot of founders probably and not not founders of early stage companies, but as they grow, think about ruling their companies with an iron fist as opposed to taking that service mentality of, you know, employees are everything. They are the lifeblood of our, uh, of our company. And without them, we don't exist. And by treating them well, you are, you know, ensuring that your product is going to be as good as it could possibly be. So you guys have tremendous poise. You know, I was hoping for some story about a meltdown, but it sounds like you guys handled yourself, uh, uh, with a plum during this, uh, during this breakdown. But I think when you're in the thick of it, it's like, you know, I, it was stressful and, you know, from a, you know, P and L standpoint and, and what I did on, on that side, it was, it was really stressful. Like, you know, you have, we weren't that big, we weren't very big at that time. I mean, so, you know, when a ton of your orders are coming back, you're like, wow, how long can we sustain this for? You know, all these customers are going on to social media and like, you know, brevity is a, uh, brevity is a sham or, you know, they don't care about their customers. Like, is this a real company and all that stuff? And they're like, man, like, 
this is not good for the brand. And, you know, if we keep this up, you know, it's really going to you know, tarnish, tarnish our reputation, um, what we're building. And so I think when we were in the thick of it back then, it was a really uh, distressful experience um, that we just, and, and, and we didn't, I think that was our second or third warehouse at that point. So, but, you know, we're, we're trying to think to ourselves, are there good warehouse partners out there? You know, how hard, how hard is this game? Mm. Uh, there's just like a lot of self-learning through the whole process. That's what it's about. Just pushing forward when you get hit. So Dylan touched a bit on, you know, his big takeaway being your partners are everything, right? I think it was Dylan who said that that's, you know, you guys, when you are finding a partner, especially one as important as your logistics partner, you know, they are a part of the company. They're not just some third party who you can pay and forget about. They really are integral to the success of the company. We see that repeat over and over and over again with the people who I speak with, um, especially direct to consumer. I mean, 3PL is one of the most important things you can do. Um, what other takeaways did you guys have from this experience? I think thematically, time back to what our, you know, what we value now is, you know, everything has to have a strong foundation, um, and everything has to be um, scalable for us. And so we say, you know, our vendors and our partners and you know everybody we work with, they're supposed to make our lives easier and very fluid and make the company very fluid. And so um, to us, that's like the biggest thing: can we scale with it? Is this a foundation that will get us to the next point from, you know, whether it's a hundred thousand to a million, 10 million or a hundred million, wherever can we stick to this partner um, and, and get to that next point? And so um, that's the question we ask all the way through the supply chain from our manufacturing partners, um, which we've had a few of before, you know, we've had a few as well um, now to um, all, all the way to our warehouse um, because each of those are critical to getting the product to the customer. You know, we don't as, as, as founders or as employees, nobody sees the product from the moment it gets um, sourced from raw materials until when it gets into the customer's hands. Like, you know, it's all done uh, in the background by these partners. So you, you want to make, you know, damn sure that they can uh, execute, um, you know, close to flawlessly. Mm -hmm. yeah. Brandon, any, any closing thoughts? I couldn't have said it better myself. You guys, what a good team. <laughs> Um, what is something that I didn't ask that I should have, or what's something about brevity that you think people should know? I think, uh, something that's worth throwing out there is, uh, you know, the idea of the everyday plus. And so with all of our product, you know, making camera backpacks is actually kind of difficult and technical. It's like a hiking bag, similar likeness. You know, people are carrying around thousands of dollars of gear. And so you have to execute very well on it. And so the quality of the product that we make is of a very, very high standard. Uh, the materials we use is of a high standard. And then we've taken those kind of te technical detailings and we've moved them into uh, an everyday product. And so what we like to think is we're like, why there's all these like great ways of doing things. Why is nobody doing it? And so we just took those same things and we, we implemented them in an everyday product and it worked really well. Um, and so, you know, like moving into the future, we're looking, you know, to see how much more sustainable we can make our products and reduce our, our footprint. Uh, we are a very mission driven company, you know, 
our goal is to contribute to the greater good. Uh, so we uh, recently donated $150,000 worth of backpacks. We've also uh, donated, you know, a few other tens of thousands of dollars to other nonprofits. Uh, and so that is at the core of what we do, um, you know, and, and we put our money where our mouth is on that front. Um, and so I think those are important things to know that uh, it's more than just backpacks for us. You know, backpacks is the medium and we are very passionate about what we do. We're, you know, we're passionate about who we work with. Uh, and, and ultimately, you know, the product that the end consumer gets, um, you know, there's a lot that goes into it, both on the quality and product end, but also, you know, on the company that's getting it to them. What an awesome way to look at it. I, I mean, that's just, if you want a masterclass in how to build a brand that people are going to respond to, there it is right there. You know, it's about building a movement. People can buy a backpack from anywhere and they can probably buy a camera backpack from anywhere, but what's going to keep people coming back is the connection to your brand, your mission, your values. And, uh, that was very well put. Any other final thoughts from any of you gentlemen? I will say as a, you know, as a brand, like, and, and, and for advice for founders is, or other, other potential founders, prospective founders is that, you know, we went into this, you know, Dylan identified a problem. And at that time, Brandon was trying to get into design school. So really the, the nature was like, we want to start a company or we want to start something, you know, Brandon wants to build a product. Um, and so we didn't, we didn't know if this was a good market or not. We saw like, we just saw this as like a huge market opportunity. Um, we kind of just dove headfirst into it. And then as we became experts, um, you know, in backpacks and in the scene, we started to identify, okay, where are there bigger opportunities? So advice to founders is like, you know, you don't have to see a huge market opportunity, like dive into something at first and then make your opportunity or figure out what the opportunity is from there. Um, cause you know, some, sometimes you won't see it until you become an expert in it. And, you know, for us, like, we, we realize that there's a lot of big backpack companies out there. Um, a lot of them are going through a lot of, uh, you know, distributors or wholesalers. And, you know, so their, their margin is completely squeezed and they can't, they can't, you know, dump money into uh, materials or, or giving back to their community. So as a direct to consumer business, we say, you know, we're going to do things differently. We're going to go, you know, right to our customer. Uh, and with that margin, invest in our product, uh, invest in our materials uh, and invest in the community. So, um, as a company, that's just something we found as we've gone. It's not like we started the company five years ago and said, that's what we wanted to do. Uh, it's just something that we figured out um, as we've been going along. Wonderful. Yeah. And even going off that final point uh, that Elliot so greatly made um, is even just like this undying sense of uh, curiosity, I think has really just driven everything. You know, like we... When we launched, it was a logo that Brandon drew up. Uh, you know, Brandon found our first manufacturer, uh, and it's all just done through like this kind of vein of of curiosity, um, and that's what's really kind of been driving us. And uh, it, we never thought that you know the first bag we're going to launch will be the best bag we ever make, and we and we still don't believe that. So I think um, really just having that kind of undying curiosity has really been able to carry us. Yeah. Awesome. Well, gentlemen, thank you so much for joining me. This has been a really great episode. I think anybody who listens to it is really going to learn a lot. Um, thank you, Elliot, Brandon, Dylan, Kim, founders of Brevity. Um, where can people find your high-quality mission-driven backpacks? B-R-E-V-I-T-E 
brevity.co. Uh, and then we're just at brevity on Instagram. And that's the best place to reach us. And we'd love to hear from everyone. Right on. Well, thanks, thanks very much. much, gentlemen. Appreciate the time. Yeah, Thank you. This episode of DTC WTF was brought to you by Uppercase Brands. Uppercase Brands is a technology-backed e-com agency that's offering bold solutions for brands rated at 10x their growth. As a busy founder, your job is to focus on getting your products into the hands of the people who love them. Let Uppercase focus on building your website and acquiring customers. Built by former Facebook and Google employees, Uppercase Brands has deep technical experience and is always focused on what's most important, building sustainable growth engines to increase their clients' revenues. They specialize in custom Shopify development, paid ad management, and conversion optimization. In an effort to give back to the Shopify community, Uppercase is picking one lucky merchant to build a full suite of Facebook and Instagram ads for. Apply by visiting www.uppercasebrands.com slash dtcwtf. Again, www.uppercasebrands.com slash dtcwtf.